Redemption Church, how are we doing tonight? Come on, somebody who is ready, who is happy and proud to be here at First Wednesday. I don't know what it is. Worship just hits different on a First Wednesday. You can imagine it's really hard to talk afterwards, so give me a moment, but we're here. I am so excited to be able to uh, just bring God's word to you guys tonight, okay? I am so excited to be here at First Wednesday, okay? I am beyond stoked to be at First Wednesday, okay? Uh, can we get it one more round of applause for the Lord? Yeah. Just give it up for the Lord. Let's go. First Wednesday is so good. It is a night where we can be a little more free, right? A little more vulnerable, right? I can already see the newer people here are like, who is this guy? What is he doing with his arms? What did I walk into? Uh, well, hey, my name is Trevor Knox. I serve here on staff as a ministry director where I help oversee everything from our serve teams to making sure Ethan isn't late to work. So it's a tough gig, but somebody's got to do it. And tonight we are jumping back into our series in the book of Psalms and just to peel back the onion, a little at the curtain, peel back the onion a little bit, I want to let you guys know how our sermons are set up at the beginning of the year, okay? So how our sermon schedule is set out. So Pastor Byron got with us in January, and uh, he picked the book of Psalms, and he assigned a book of Psalms, and he assigned a topic to it, and he said, everybody that's preaching, come and pick your topic first, come first, serve. So I'm looking at what I can preach over. I see wisdom, Psalm 1. Probably not. I'll let Pastor Cody take that. Cool. <clears throat> Praise. Psalm 96. I did that last year. Can't really, can't really go back. Okay. Lament. Psalm 42. Hey, I get sad all the time, but let's do it. I can do lament. Amaris already called dibs. Okay. Amaris has got that. Probably should check on her. Um, <laughs> imprecatory. Psalm 37. Imprecatory. Yeah, totally. Right up my app. Thank you, Dom. Yeah. Imprecatory. Imprecability is right up my alley. Yeah, I have no idea what that means, guys. Let's leave it to Ethan. Can't wait for that one, okay? Confidence, Psalm 27. Hey, I'm a confident dude. Let's go. Push it to the limit. Believe in yourself. Believe and achieve. Pain is weakness leaving the body. I am very confident. I can preach a sermon over confidence. I'm not that confident. I'm not that confident. I want to be very honest with you guys. Actually, I struggle with confidence a lot. I have since I was a boy. I'm still a boy since I was a kid. You know what I mean? Okay. I've struggled. I've struggled with confidence since I was a youngling, right? In the olden days. Okay. And that might uh, surprise some of you guys. Could you see me stomping around here in worship? You're like, that guy is confident or crazy. Okay. You see me leading the morning huddles on a Sunday. That guy is confident or crazy, right? Or even just being able to speak with the microphone on the platform. Typically it's assumed, hey, the guy with the microphone, he's got to be pretty confident. Okay. It's not true though. I struggle with confidence daily, a lot, okay? And Pastor Byron has a rule for public speaking, okay? He taught me something a long time ago. He told me, never point out the negative when public speaking, right, Ethan? He's told us that often, okay? If a light goes out, don't point it out, okay? We don't want to draw attention to the negative, but Pastor Byron's not here. <laughs> Pastor Byron's not here, okay? So I'm going to get real with you guys. I'm going I'm to go down a little list of why confidence is a struggle for me, okay? One, I grew up super poor, which led me to, uh, you, anybody else, food stamps, a big block of cheese that you would not touch. Uh, that led me to having a lot of financial problems as I was getting older, right? As I became an adult, it was really hard for me to uh, learn how to spend money the right way. James is looking at me. He's a financial coach. He's staring at me, okay? Two, I've got bad teeth. 
after years of abusing the coffee pot and cigarettes, okay, I have the chompers of a dilapidated rat. That's what I've got, okay? I've got cauliflower ear from getting beat up by teenagers in jujitsu for the past 11 years, okay? I can't put an AirPod in here, and my wife won't even look at it unless I dip it in ranch. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, babe. Uh, hey, I, I've got a lisp which if you didn't hear it before, you do now, okay? I had to be in speech classes when I was younger, okay, because I, I have this list, right? Sally sells seashores on a bologna sandwich. Thank you. I'm, uh, I'm severely ADHD, and I cannot focus on anything for more than 15 seconds. Again, this, this, uh, turned, this led me to being in special classes growing up, right? I cannot focus on anything. If you notice, I speak really, really fast, right? I'm going to do that all night, okay? I can't stand still. I am a squirrel. I am a four on the Enneagram personality test, which means I take pride in being sad all the time, right? And my four said, yeah, see, she's proud. We're sad, right? Sad nation, rise up. Uh, and, you know, that led, I also think like I'm a special snowflake. It's the Enneagram four. I'm a special snowflake. I'm so different. I'm so unique. This led me to being that weird emo kid in high school who would uh, get bullied a lot. Um, what else? What did I write? Pimple. Oh, that happened this morning. I woke up this morning. It's my day to preach. I've been preparing for weeks. Let's go. The giant pimple on my forehead. Uh, speaking of my forehead, I learned very recently. It was last week. I told Pastor Byron, I have a permanent wrinkle on my forehead. And that's from after three years of ministry, I do this a lot. <laughs> it's the truth. Okay? <laughs> Once you're in ministry, you're going to hear some things where... Right? You know, your mom always told you, don't make that face, you'll get stuck like that. I'm sorry, mom. I see. Sorry. But she's not lying, okay? And worst of all, are you ready? I literally make everything a joke when things get too serious, okay? I, uh, uh, I avoid tension. I avoid conflict by just sweeping it under the rug and being a silly goose. That's me, okay? <laughs> Hoping things just blow over. Now, what I just did for you guys is something you probably know. It's called self-deprecation, okay? It's called self-deprecation. Um, I'm deflecting from what actually needs to be talked about in order to be more relatable and more humble with you guys, right? As if I need more attention, I'm drawing more attention to myself, right? You probably can't stop staring at my forehead. See, that was on purpose. <clears throat> Here's a question. Do you feel better after hearing me spew that out? Do you feel better after hearing me dump on you all the negative qualities about myself? Don't say yes. It's really mean, dude. It's really mean, okay? Most likely, <laughs> the answer is no, because unfortunately, self-deprecation, when it can appear to be rooted in humility, it actually ends up being false humility. It comes off as attention-seeking, um, and even worse, it's damaging to our mental health and spiritual health, okay? Even if you're not self-deprecating out loud, some of you have an inner dialogue. It's something I've suffered with, where it's always negative thoughts towards yourself, okay? <clears throat> what we're actually doing when we do this is we're dishonoring the way God created us. Okay, we're establishing the narrative in our head that it's okay to let others know that we think negatively of ourselves, right? To be more relatable. And you might be asking, well, why is confidence so important in the Christian life? Okay, why would I pick confidence if I'm struggling with confidence so much, okay? Uh, the reason is if you want to be bold, you have to have some confidence, right? If you want to disciple others, you have to do it confidently, okay? If you want to evangelize out in the community, you need some confidence. And if you want to change the world, you're probably going to need to be confident, 
correct? You need to be con- Nobody ever changed the world with shrunken shoulders and a feeble worldview, right? Nobody's going to follow this guy. Follow me, dude. We're going to change. Nobody's going to follow that guy. I don't know why I made him walk like this. Uh, <laughs> so how do we develop our confidence to fulfill what God wants for us? Surprise. You're in church and the answers are on the back, okay? So if you have your Bibles, please, let's turn to Psalm 27 and dive in. Let's answer the question, how do we develop confidence? And after weeks of prayer and reflection, I believe I found three solid principles that's going to help us develop our confidence. So are you guys ready to be more confident? Are you ready to build your confidence in a biblical way? Stop staring at my forehead. Let's jump in. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Who shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. So to expound on this a bit, this is written by the same David that Pastor Byron has been teaching about in his past series, The Gospel According to David. Same David, right? As we know, he knows a thing or two about facing fear. So the first principle to developing our confidence, we have to learn to face our fears, okay? So when we're talking about fear, let's go ahead and establish that there are two types of fear, okay? A godly fear is a healthy fear, and it's it's called to be respected, right? Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, we're in church, wisdom, right? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is a fear that promotes reverence to what needs to be honored and respected, a healthy fear. This is why kids are afraid of the dark, right? Because in the olden days, the dark was full of jaguars and creepy crawlies and things that would hurt you. This is a healthy fear, a healthy anxiety. She chuckled at jaguar, jaguar. (laughs) Okay, uh, let's look at the ocean, right? It's huge, it's wide, it's deep. We don't know what's down there, right? It's healthy to be in fear of the ocean, to respect the ocean, okay? All of our fishermen in, in the crowd right now, like, says you, dude. <laughs> we have so many fishermen here. I am Poseidon, master of the sea, right? But this is a healthy fear. Above all, we need a healthy fear and reverence of God's word. Love it and respect it to the absolute highest degree in your life. This is not a fear to face. This is a fear to embrace. I sound like a pastor. Come on, somebody. This is a fear to face. This is a fear to embrace. Now, on the flip side, there's also an ungodly fear, which is probably what you think about whenever you hear the word fear, okay? And this is what David is referring to. It's fear straight from the enemy and straight from our own flesh, and it leads us away from God and his word. It can cause us to stumble, and it can cause us to lack confidence when we need it most. It can prevent us from facing our fears. So the verse says, when evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Now, for most of you, when we're thinking of what we're afraid of, it's probably not that your enemies are encamped outside, right, and they're waiting to bite your flesh. Okay, and if they are, could you please go deal with that? (laughs) My Ford Fiesta is parked right here, okay? So I don't want to be bitten by your enemies on the way out there. No, for us, generally, fear is an internal battle, right? It's an internal conflict. It's something inside of us we're either avoiding or just accepting as an unchanging reality. This can be the fear of rejection. You're afraid of changing careers, right, because you don't want to be denied. You're afraid to ask that chick out because she's going to say no. Um, You're afraid of sharing your faith. This is really common, especially nowadays, right, guys? It's really, it it can be really tough to, uh, to share your faith, right? We're afraid of being rejected, right? I know me as, you know, I've been saved for about four years now, but, uh, I went from being a lifelong atheist who completely derailed against Christianity and laugh at anyone who tried to share their faith with me to who I am now, 
a God-fearing, Bible-believing, prayer-hungry dude who's preaching on a Wednesday night at a church. Okay? So, come on, somebody. Right? But I lost a lot of friends over sharing my faith. I lost a lot of friends, actually recently, of people who found out I was a Christian now. Okay? Especially with what's going on in the world. Um, but it can be super difficult to walk that line because we're afraid to get ridiculed. The damage is... This damages our confidence and can lead us to a fear of humiliation and what others might think of us. What we're really afraid, when we're really afraid to express ourselves and be ourselves in front of others, it's a fear of humiliation. For some of us, we're afraid of falling into poverty, especially with these gas prices. Come on, somebody. Um, but we're living in this fear that our families are going to be taken care of. And we're in this constant cycle of checking our bank accounts, right, or ignoring our bank accounts and just sliding that credit card, right? We don't want to face the reality we're in. For some of us, it's loneliness or failure or uncertainty or being hurt emotionally. And all of this can lead to one of our biggest enemies, and that's the fear of taking risk. We're afraid to step out. We're afraid to step into the unknown territories. We're afraid to take chances that can lead to our potential growth in the places that God is calling us to be. All this directly damages our ability to have biblical and godly confidence. So here's a fun fact. The Bible mentions overcoming your fears exactly 365 times. That's a verse for every single day that we need to be called to overcome our fears, okay? It's because <clears throat> if we don't face our fears, it can produce this fruit of fear, which is anxiety, depression. It can lead us to relying on the wrong people. It can lead us to responding to things in anger and malice. It prevents us from fulfilling our spiritual disciplines. Worst of all, it can cause us to disobey God's word. It can lead us to sin. So when I think of why we struggle to face our fears, why we as Christians lack the confidence we need sometimes, <clears throat> I'm always reminded that it starts as, a, as an identity issue, okay? It starts with us. The reason David can, he can face this impending threat of these enemies outside of him with such faith and confidence is because he knows two things, two things that we have to remember, right? You have to know who you are, but more importantly, you have to know whose you are, Okay? <laughs> In the midst of all this chaos, the first thing David says is, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And it ends with, the war rise against me, yet I will be confident. So the first thing we have to be aware of when facing our fears is that as Christians, God is with us through our trials and with us when we're afraid. When we are faced with our enemies, we have to be able to take a back seat and say, okay, the Lord is my light. He illuminates through the darkness. He reveals the trouble around us. He is our salvation. He not only reveals the darkness, but he delivers us from ruin and harm. He delivers us away from the darkness. Third, he is our stronghold. He is our fortress, our protection, our shield against evil and the will of the enemy. And this is great news when we are dealing with, when, when we're trying to overcome our fears, right? God's our light. He's our salvation. He is our stronghold. This is great news unless you don't know whose you are. If you don't know whose you are, these are just words from a story. They don't mean anything. As Christians, we have to be engaging in prayer, engaging in serving others, engaging in discipleship, and engaging in God's word on a daily basis, not because that's what gets us saved, but because we're extremely forgetful. I told you earlier, I am a squirrel, right? I can, I can be deep in God's word, really trying to be spiritually disciplined, reading my Bible, and then two minutes later for no reason, like, remember that embarrassing thing you did in second grade? You ever been there? Yeah. <laughs> What does it have to do with any, any of this, right? I am extremely forgetful. So we have to remember who God says we are. Who does God say we are? We are children of the one true God. We have been called to be saints. We have been justified and redeemed. Our old selves were crucified with Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. We will not be condemned by God. We have been accepted by Christ. But again, if you just read this, these are just words on a page, right? Let's look at the Psalms as a whole. 
Why is he writing this right now? What is he doing? He is praying. This is a prayer, right? What does the Bible say? And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Prayer is our primary weapon against fear. That's 1 John 5.14. So in order to remember who you are, you need to pray when you're reading your Bible. You need to pray when you're serving. You need to pray when you're giving. You need to pray when you're hurting. You need to pray when you're healing. Okay? And the peaks and in the valleys, we need to be men and women of prayer. Remember that God is with us in every room we walk into, every room we walk into, every conversation we have, every failure we face. Our God is with us as our light, our salvation, and our stronghold. And when he is for us, nothing can stand against us, okay? Remember who you are, no matter what you may be afraid of, okay? Our second principle to help us develop our confidence is we have to find our faith. You gotta find your faith. And not like you lost your faith, but you know what I mean. Right? There are times where you do forget your faith. You don't lose it, but you forget your faith. So we have to find our faith. The verse says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. This is so good. Despite the war that he's in, David has established that he will not be afraid. The Lord is with them, and his victory has been established from above. But then he writes, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off, forsake me not. O God of my salvation, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And that's a record scratch. I'm bad at record scratches. Right? So now David's right away, he's scared again. He literally jumps from one verse saying, and now my head shall be lifted above my enemies and I will sing praises of worship to God, please answer me. Are you there? I am, uh, you told me to seek your face. I promise I'm, this is really, really hard, okay? I love this because it represents our own spiritual pilgrimage. It represents our own spiritual journey from sheer undeniable confidence to doubt and uncertainty. Who's ever been there? All of us. All of us, right? One day, everything is rocking. The sun is out. The birds are chirping. Your wife isn't mad at you. And then, bam, disaster strikes. Okay? I feel like sometimes my life is a, a Looney Tune where I'm, I'm Wiley Coyote and I have the perfect plans to get this roadrunner. I'm right there and an anvil falls on my head. That reference makes me feel really old. Please stop looking at my forehead. When we're left in these times of uncertainty, remember that our faith fights for us. Real faith is knowing that God is sovereign in the good times and faithful in the bad. Faith can have speed bumps of doubt, but it always ends with a clear path of assurance. This is real faith. He is the same God of the mountaintop as he is in the valleys. When we are suffering, when we are at our lowest, when we feel like our faith is not strong enough, understand that we are being fortified, sharpened, and built up as something greater than we were before. Okay? Our trials are an opportunity to glorify who God is and to build our confidence as believers in Christ. As Christians, we cannot have confidence without having an obedience that is rooted in faith. That's why I love the way the verse ends. He expresses his doubts and his concerns, and then he says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. That's real faith. That's real confidence. Right? R.C. Sproul, great pastor, says, the root of faith is not believing in God, but believing God. Okay? Billy Graham says, mountaintops are for views and inspiration. But the valley is where the fruit is grown. Okay? We spoke earlier of the fruits of fear, anxiety, depression. 
What does the Bible say our fruits are? Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This has grown in the valleys. This is nurtured in the times that are not easy for us. Our fruits can only be made ripe when our full faith and confidence is put in the Lord and his word. And to that I say, absolutely. When our faith is rooted in obedience, then we begin to experience the true spirit of confidence we're meant to have. We fix our faith by understanding, we find our faith by understanding that the ups and downs will always be justified by God's holiness and his love for us as a father. That's where our faith is. Remember, it's in true obedience to your faith. Okay, our third and final principle to help us develop our confidence is to fix your focus. This is so important. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look up upon the goodness of the Lord and the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So now, after facing his fears, experiencing doubts, and deciding to find his faith, David now acknowledges that he is held tightly by a love that will not let him go. David invites the Lord to teach him and to lead him and to protect his life. David understands his purpose, and he is focused on what matters the most. And there are four key aspects of this verse that David is revealing to us, okay? One is apprenticeship. That's teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. David is a student of the word of God. He is willing to submit to the leadership and kingship of God as his savior and his teacher by praying to him and trusting him. Two, confession. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. This is confession. David is confessing his fears to the Lord in a real, honest way. You can't hide from God anyway. We might as well be real with them. Come on, somebody. Three is vision. I believe that I shall look up upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David is proclaiming with his mouth the promises that God has for him. He is looking forward to ensure that all the steps he takes in the present will lead to God's will for him in the future. Four is patience. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. He is firmly aware of the importance of being patient while waiting for the Lord to answer. And in the meantime, he will be strong and courageous until God decides the time is right. So these are the four core values we have to take in order to develop our confidence as Christians, right? This can take time to learn. It can take time until you feel like you're grasping it. But ultimately, I think it goes back to the same issue as the first point, which is our identity. If we don't know whose we are, this won't help us get anywhere. These are just words. I remember when I first got hired at the church, right? This was almost three years ago. And uh, it was my interview, okay? So in my interview, me and Pastor Byron go to IHOP. He asked me two questions. He goes, all right, are you, uh, do you consider yourself an organized person? And I looked at him and I said, no. <laughs> and then he said, okay, well, are you, uh, do you know how to use Microsoft Excel? I looked at him and I said, no. And he looked at me and he said, well, I like it. You're hired. That was my uh, walk into ministry, okay? But whenever I got hired, remember, I had no prior relationship with Pastor Byron. I didn't know him. He was only my pastor, okay? And <clears throat> I was basically just serving in the parking lot up until that point. I was in the parking lot for two years, holding that sign every service I could. Rain, sleet, or snow. Shout out to our parking team. Come on, somebody. Yeah. But I was out in the parking lot. I was out in the parking lot. That's, uh, that, was, that was my roots. That's where I came from. Suddenly, he gives me this interview. Uh, I pray on it, me and my wife. My wife's like, if you don't take this, you're an idiot. I'm like, okay, I'll try, right? So I end up becoming Pastor Byron's assistant. Uh, what this means is I basically run errands for him and I punch in the metrics. That was it. I had no title as far as leadership goes. I was not in leadership. I would just follow Pastor Byron around like a minion and hand him water on Sundays. That was the extent of my job. Well, one day, 
The staff is already going to know what I'm talking about. One day, uh, it was time to give out. We were going to mail out our yearly giving statements. Okay, so we had 300 letters to send out in the mail because you guys love to give. Come on, somebody. Right, right? A few of you are like, yeah, dude, I love to give. It's me too, right? But we, we have a great church that gives, uh, and I had to stuff all these envelopes with giving statements, and I'm going to be very vulnerable and honest with you guys again. I had never sent a mail, uh, I've never sent a letter as an adult male. <laughs> as an adult, I've never sent out a letter. I didn't know how to do it. I had to Google it. I'm like, how do you send a letter? I'm like, can I just text them? Are you sure? <laughs> do they have TikTok, right? I, I don't have TikTok. So I had to learn how to mail a letter. So I get all of these done. It takes like six hours. I stuff them. I find out how to mail a letter. I drive down to the post office. There's a big blue mailbox. I go to dump them in. I'm waiting for the messenger pigeons because I still don't know how this works. And uh, a couple days go by, I walk back into the office, and Pastor Byron goes, hey, Trevor, did you ever get those uh, giving statements out? I go, yes, sir, of course I did. I'm a competent adult. I did, Pastor Byron. They, are in, they were in the mailbox two days ago. They're on their way to the people's houses. He goes, oh, great. He goes, hey, check this out. He shows me a photo on his phone. It's a picture of his living room covered in 300 <laughs> giving statements. Because I... I switched the addresses, right? The kids are like, are we Harry Potter? They're running around, right? Here's, here's the mail. It never fails, right? Um, so obviously, Pastor Byron was extremely gracious, and he was able to laugh it off, right? It was really funny. I'm like, oh, you, that old, you old silly goose, okay? And... Uh, the truth, though, is that was a pretty big blow to my confidence at the time, okay? I kind of opened up by telling you guys some of the issues I deal with. Uh, I was already a self-deprecating dude, but this kind of just reinforced all the negative thoughts I already had about myself. Yeah, I was in special classes in school. Uh, I'm dumb. Uh, I can't do what other adults do. What is wrong with me? I'm incompetent. I'm stupid. I can't handle this, right? I'm going to be a failure. What is wrong with me? And Pastor Byron, he called me in about a month later. And uh, he had a really, really big heart-to-heart with me. You know, he had gotten with uh, Brandon Stacy, actually, a good mentor and friend of mine. And uh, he goes, hey, you know, I almost fired you. And not for your incompetency, right? Not because I think you're stupid, but because you don't believe who God says you are. I had been living from down here. I had joined, I had joined the staff, right? I, but I would always tell him, like, I'm not in leadership, though. I'm not in leadership. I would not accept who I was called to be, okay? I would always give myself this lower rung than everybody else, okay? Despite what God had done in my life, he completely transformed my brain. He delivered me from suicidal thoughts. He delivered me from a life of self-sabotage, but I still wasn't living up to his word. I didn't have the confidence to do so. He was exactly right. And from that moment on that I learned that if I really want to be the man that God is calling me to be, I've got to be a student and learn to submit my will to God and to the leaders that he's trusted over me. I gotta learn to confess my struggles and understand that I'm not alone. I've gotta have the vision for where I wanna go and believe in where God is taking me. And I've gotta learn to be more patient because God's timing is always perfect. I had to learn that my confidence doesn't come from my performance. I had to learn that if your confidence is not found at the feet of Jesus, your focus will be stuck on the things of this world. Our confidence does not come from your bank account. It doesn't come from the cool truck you bought. It doesn't come by 
you know, how much weight you can lift, even though Alyssa, I am so impressed. Okay, it doesn't come from the things of this world, right? We get wrapped up in this. We get stuck on this is what we're measuring ourselves up to other people. Our confidence comes at the feet of Jesus. You know what confidence is? Right, the Lord is so good. The confidence is, uh, during worship tonight, I saw four grown men walk to the front and get on their knees because they're willing to submit to the will of the Lord. They're not afraid of what they look like. They're not afraid of what other people may think. They know, they know that their confidence comes from Him. They know who they are. They know whose they are. So real confidence is saying that these bad teeth have the potential to change somebody's day with an unashamed smile. Okay? This squirrel brain of mine means I have a unique way of thinking that others might be able to learn from. It makes me different. My lisp, well, when I say face your fears, it sounds like faith. Come on, somebody. It's the first thing you heard. These wrinkles, battle scars for what I'm trying to do for the kingdom of heaven. Right? And I hope that when it's all said and done, I have a lot more. And me not taking things seriously. Hey, I can tell you this. I take God very seriously. I've never taken him more serious in my life. Right? I'm trusting him. He's working on me. And David wasn't always confident. But in the end, he was always seeking things above. Our confidence can't come from what we do, but by what God's done and who he is. So are you guys ready to be confident in who God is? Let's face our fears. Let's find our faith.